This is your youngest. Is that right? Your youngest. You're on the way out of this thing. Okay. Thank you for coming. Like you've done this at least 10 different times. Well, um, it's great to have all of you. And uh, if you don't know me, my name is Sean Farrell. I'm the college pastor and also serve as one of the elders at FBC. And it's just a privilege to be part of our student ministries here. You just saw 15, 20 young people that love Jesus Christ and love your student. And it's a cool thing to be part of a student ministry like this one. And I want to say on behalf of our elders, um, we are fiercely committed to your students as a church. We are fiercely committed to the next generation, um, to helping you, as it were, seek to raise them in the knowledge and admonition of the Lord. We believe in the next generation, and you'll see if you're new to our church, a lot of resources poured into junior high, high school, and college ministries. And uh, that's me speaking as an elder. We love student ministries, and we love the next generation training, and we love the gospel going forth into this environment. Now, speaking as a parent, I love our student ministries. I have two daughters, both are in high school, and it has been such a joy to watch them flourish on Wednesdays and Sundays with their staff people, all those things. A place where God's word is taught, where there's godly young people who are pouring into them each and every week and where they have a ton of fun and relationships with each other. Uh, I just want to say a couple other things. Terrell did a good job philosophically um, in terms of who we are, we, we seek, according to Colossians 1, 28 and 29, to bring the word of God to bear on their lives at this season in life. Unique, am I right, from every other season in life, this one, as they're coming and really, really becoming human beings. Raise your hand if you're a human being and you're in junior high. Yes, you all are. I'm just kidding. Um, but, uh, but we are seeking to bring the word of God to bear on their lives. And I'll say there's two things that make a successful youth ministry. Well, there's more than two, but there's there's two extremes. On the one hand, you preach the word of God as if souls depend on it, because they do, right? If your student was to stand before God, you have to answer the question, would they give an account for their actions, be morally culpable? If the answer is yes, then it matters what we do here, correct? And we feel that weight. If the answer is no, then it won't be long before the answer is yes. On the other side of that equation... Um, that, that's a student ministry that is super serious, that's talking about souls, that's dealing with the eternal realities of heaven and hell and all of those heavy things. The other side of it is, this thing has got to be rocking and fun. Am I right? It has to be. All you, you just need to come to one of our events. You need to come to a summer camp or a winter camp and see that we love to have a good time. And a good student ministry puts those two things together and thrives. The most serious and the most fun on the same night. And that is an awesome place to be because we are not cheapening the word of God, but we are bringing it into their world and like a laser beam hitting the heart. So all, all sorts of good things there. We can talk more about that at some other time. But um, there are two misconceptions in terms of how how you and we as parents treat our students and a student ministry in the church. The first we call curbology. And curbology is the, is the, the theological pattern by which you pull up on a Wednesday night, you open the door, they hop out, you go see you later, you close the door, they walk in, and the whole point is they're going to fix my kids. Like all the spiritual stuff, the God stuff, they're going to take care of for me. And then you, at the end of the night, you don't get out of the car, you just text them, get out here, I need to go to bed, right? And so then they come out, and you don't ever have any interaction. That's called curbology. The other extreme, I don't have a good name for it, but it's where, where parents decide I'm the priest of the home. I'm not going to expose my kids to anybody else because here is where it needs to happen. I've got all the spiritual gifts. I want to do all the modeling. I want to be the example. I'm going to do all the teaching. That's my role as a parent, and I'm going to block them from everything else out there. 
Both of those two things are, are not biblical in that sense, if you want to call it that. They're not wise, I would say. Somewhere in the middle of that is a parent involvement. It's obviously, biblically, the parent's role to raise their kids in the discipline and admonition of the Lord, to train them up. It is the church's job and our job to come alongside you as you seek to do that. So that's kind of where it all comes together. So if you haven't gotten to know your staff person and you just heard sixth grade boy, there I saw those two guys yelling at each other. Or which, what? You guys are eighth grade. Eighth grade, sorry. James and Alex, which is great. Um, by the way, in, in junior high, junior hires are like dogs. They're fun. They're energetic. They, they love you. They'll, if you've been gone for two weeks and come back, they'll just jump right in, right back. High schoolers are like cats. They're very finicky and fickle. They may like you today and not like you tomorrow. Um, if you go away for a while, they might just pull out the claws and spread like it's really weird. And then when you get to where I am in college ministry, they become like dogs again. Like college students and junior hires are very similar. They just have fun and just love life. So all of you, don't change, okay? Because you're just going to be back in a few years anyway. Anyway, um, let's leave that there for the time being. There's nothing more important to us as parents than, than we wanting our kids to know Jesus Christ. Think about this. You put them into sports, hoping they become a professional athlete. What sport is it, my friends? Give me a sport. Baseball. And who's your favorite baseball player? Okay. Uh, give it, really, that's interesting. Okay, what else we got? Anybody else? Volleyball. You're my favorites. Okay. Yes, sir. With the glasses, blonde hair. I don't know your name. Babe Ruth. Babe Ruth. Or Saxon. Okay, baby. That's it. That's it. All right. We're done. But you put them into sports hoping they'll be a professional baseball player and then you'll live off of their career. Or you push them academically so that they can get into a good college, right? Um, we, we manage and guard their friendships. We manage their time on their devices. We help to manicure a thousand different areas of their life. But if you were to ask a, a parent that loves Christ, what is most important to you? Bar none, it's that we would have children that grow up to follow God first, to love him with all their hearts. We want to see those little hearts grow into independent hearts that seek to love Christ. And so on that note, tonight, really briefly, this is for everybody now. That was just the parents, junior hires, you can tune back in. We're just going to look at a very short passage. If you have a Bible, we're going to be in Deuteronomy chapter 6. We're not going to break any new ground tonight. But having had a chance to praise the Lord this environment, we want to open the word of God and let God speak to us through his word. And I just want to draw out a couple of parenting principles and a couple principles from life here. This is going to be very short. In Deuteronomy 6, Deuteronomy 6, 4, it says this, Hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord is one. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. These words which I'm commanding you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your sons and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise up. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as a frontals on your forehead. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. And this goes on, but we don't have time. So clear, so direct, so instructive, and incredibly helpful. There are many parenting verses in the Bible. These are my favorite. Clear, concise, 
convicting every time. And I just want to draw two principles out of this, okay? This is for everybody. So tune in and let the word of God tear into your hearts tonight. The first is this, love God primarily. You don't have to write these down. You'll remember this. Love God primarily, but you can write it if you're ready or taking notes. Love God primarily. There is nothing more important in your life than that phrase, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. There is nothing more important, I'll say this differently, in the life of your family, parent, than that you, as a mom or as a dad, love Jesus Christ first. There is no greater parenting principle. There's no greater marriage principle. There's no greater principle as a friend or as an employee. The greatest principle for all of us, the, the, the greatest law, Jesus said, the highest point is that we would love God with all of our hearts. This is it. If you want to have a successful family, if you want to be blessed, love Jesus Christ with all of your heart, bar none. Okay, but we see that we don't always love God as we should. I don't know. Sometimes we love our careers or our hobbies or our leisure or entertainment or even our children. But this comes in... Black and white is a stark reminder. God is first, complete and total devotion. And I just want to ask the question tonight to the parents. Who do you love most? What do you love most? And you could answer that question pretty easily by looking at where you spend your time, where you spend your money, and what you talk about. Those things will tell you what's most important to you. If you're, raise your hand if you're 11. I'm curious, any 11-year-olds here? Yes, awesome. 12-year-olds, let me see the hands. 13-year-olds, 14-year-olds, okay, just, yes, 14. You're a young 14 back there. Okay. In this, if you're looking at your Bibles, it doesn't say just for the parents. This is a command, my friends, to everybody. Everybody is to love the Lord with all of their heart. Loving God is choosing him first. It's a heart that puts Christ above all other things. It finds joy and satisfaction in him. If Christ is first, he'll be on your lips. If Christ is first, he'll be reflected in your calendars. If Christ is first, he'll be reflected in your bank account. This is simple, simple mathematics, right? The thing that you have most affection for is where your heart and your life will be turned. And love for Christ cannot be manufactured. It can't be contrived. Either you're going to love Jesus and your family will be oriented around him, or you're going to love other things and your family will be oriented around those things. I, uh, I had the privilege of going to UCLA for my undergraduate degree. And amazingly, as my girls grew up, they became UCLA fans. Can you believe that? I mean, it's certainly, um, it could be because UCLA has a robust athletic program and more national championships than USC, or maybe because of the academic level of one versus the other is, I mean, it's not even close. Or it could be because of the location um, South Central LA, where you could get shot walking on campus, or Westwood, right? It could be that, or I don't know, it could be the cost. One costs 60 plus thousand dollars a year, the other is a state school funded much lower. I, I'm not sure what the reason is, but we don't need to mention that NCAA sanctions against USC, which stripped them of a national championship for football because they're cheaters. Um, so so if, you, if you were, by the way, okay, if you're in junior high and you like UCLA more than USC, go ahead and stand up. These are the elect. Thank you. Thank you. Awesome. Okay, grab a seat. And the rest of you are reprobates. Now, 
aside from all of those things, why do you think that my girls like UCLA? You think it's because of any of those things? Probably not. Why is it? That's right. Because I went there. Because I love USC. Because I talk about it, have fond affection for it. So watch this. This is the case with our families. What we love most is evident and will be seen in our homes. It is obvious what's important to you. And don't think for a minute that your kids can't figure it out when you say, no, God first, everybody, but you live in a different way. You run your family this direction. They know exactly what's going on. And this only becomes more important as they get older and can begin to sniff out that hypocrisy. If we love entertainment, TV's on constantly. If we love sports, then Sunday mornings are optional during football season. And so I say it again, the key to parenting, the most important principle, love Jesus Christ with all your heart and watch what happens in your family. If you're just going through the motions, just mailing it in, that will have an impact on your family. Apathetic, inconsistent, lazy, even coldness, then make no mistake, your family will follow suit. Mom and dad, you are the high watermark. And as you go, so goes your family. And so if your heart isn't there, then like all of us, like Jesus talks about first love in Revelation, we need to go back even tonight, even in this moment, say, Lord, forgive me because I've drifted again and I've let other things get in the middle and I confess that and I want to love you. And this is for all of us because we all get our eyes off the ball here and there. Jesus is a competitor who has no rivals because he's that far above and he wants all of our hearts and he won't stop till he gets it. So if I get in your kitchen for just a minute, do you love Jesus Christ? I'm asking every single person here, answering your own heart, do I love Christ? Do I really love Christ? Do you love Christ enough that your wife would say, yes, he loves Jesus more than me? That your husband would say, yes, he loves Christ more than me? Do your kids know? Do they know the most important thing in your life is Christ? Because when your heart is aflame, the family will come in order like a dog chasing the mailman. Love for Jesus will lead to changes in your home, just like a dog always chases the mailman. Like it's a natural progression um, in there. Never mind. I'll... Do we even have mailmen anymore? Oh, okay, never mind. All right. Number one. Thank you. Number one, the principle is love Jesus primarily. Number two, train your children intentionally. This goes for discipleship leaders, for our staff people, um, for anybody that's in a, in, a, in a situation where they have people below them, train them intentionally. There's a phrase in verse seven. It says, you shall teach them diligently to your sons. Talking about the law and the command of God. You shall teach it diligently to your sons. This is from parents to children. And the command is to teach and to instruct. And the text says to do it with diligence. Now that word for diligence is a Hebrew word that talks about, it's basically was used to sharpen a blade. So I got to get over here because I brought a blade. Okay. So when I, okay. Does anybody know what this is? If you're junior high only? Nope. You already answered, sir. (laughs) It is a machete. Do you know how many T's are a machete? No, only one. Okay, I did the same thing. There's only one as I point at you with my blade. Okay, does anybody know what a machete is for? Okay, yes, true, but not the primary definition is not to kill people. Um, yes, sir. Cutting food. Cutting food. Okay, close, yes. Yeah, I guess we could do that. Yes, sir, Dodger. 
Mr. McElroy. That's it right there. Hacking your way through jungle, jungles and underbrush, things of that nature. Now, did you know, raise your hand if you think that the machete is labeled as a weapon in the United States of America. Goes, raise your hand if you think so. The answer is no, it's not. You can actually have it, but you can't, you can have it on your side like this as a, a guy's working the lawns and stuff, but if you conceal it, then that's against the law. So this is legal because it's as a, a lawn um, apparatus. Now, I bought a house about three years ago and the lady who lived there, Luana, that's irrelevant to our story. She was 65 years old, lived by herself, moved away when we bought the house. And as we were going through everything, I found this in her shed. This machete was there in her shed. And you know what? It was perfectly sharp. She had sharpened it. And basically what you do to sharpen is you take a rock like this. And I can't do this because I only have two hands. But you rub it down one side, rub it down the other. Right? You guys have seen this. You take a specific type of stone at a specific angle with a specific tension and pressure specific speed and a specific numbers of, number of times over and over again on both sides with the intention of making it sharper and sharper. Everybody following so far? The word in the Hebrew talking about, I'm going to put this down so I don't hurt myself or anybody else, um, for teach them diligently is the same word used to sharpen a blade. You as a parent and me as a parent are to take um, their hearts, as it were, if you want to say that, and to slowly train them. But let me say this differently. As a parent, God has put you into the life of your child to be a tool that consistently works in their hearts to prepare them for their future. I'm sharpening a knife so that I can use it for something else, correct? You are sharpening your children. You are intentionally teaching them and diligently working in their hearts. Why? To prepare them for what's coming to teach them how to honor God in their lives. There is a day coming when they're going to be gone and they're going to stand on their own out there and we need to make them ready for that. And so this is your task as parents. Do you have health care? Most of us do. I'm sure it took some research and plan to get the policy set up. Do you go on family vacations? Most of us do. You save money, you reserve spots, you get time off of work, etc. You want to retire someday? Most of us do. So you have a plan for that in the future that you've sat and worked through. We plan for all these things, but what about the intentional plan to train our children in the ways of the Lord? We sometimes leave that to others because they're better. And this is what they get paid to do. What am I supposed to do? I, I don't know much about the Bible, right? That's, that's not the attitude that's given in Deuteronomy 6. Right here he says, it is your job, parents, to teach your sons and your daughters to diligently train them, to sharpen the sword over and over again, consistently getting them ready for their lives, couple suggestions. If you're looking for a place to start, what does that mean? It doesn't mean get out the Bible. Let me tell you about the Hebrew and the Greek here. Buy a small Bible study book, and depending on the age of your children, open that at night. Sit down and read it with them. It doesn't take much. Pray with them. It doesn't take much. Have a consistent pattern of being in God's Word with them. If your oldest kid is 18 and the youngest is 14, that level is going to get raised up. If your oldest kid is 12 and the youngest is, is 8, that brings that down in terms of what you select. But the principle is develop a plan and figure out how you as a parent are going to train your child in the discipline and admonition of the Lord. The days are fleeting. 
If you have high schoolers or beyond, you understand this. How many nights a week do you get them at home? It's very few. Everybody goes different directions and someday they're gone. Use these days with wisdom and be prepared in all of that. Here's another one. Why, why don't you go to church, both services? Be committed to church. Be committed to Wednesday nights. Be about the local church. Serve the Lord. Have people in your homes. Show them what it looks like. And any, all of this is just be intentional with how you are raising them. Deuteronomy 6 tells us just not only to teach them, but also um, to teach them intentionally, but also naturally. Because he goes on to say, teach them diligently when you're sitting and when you're walking and when you're laying down, when you're rising up. What's the principle? It doesn't mean that you have to give them some massive lecture on biblical things. It means like I used to do with my daughter Zoe when she was in the car seat next to me in my Toyota truck because I had no back seat. And she was two facing forward with the airbag right there. And, uh, and we'd be driving down the street and I would say, look at the clouds. Who made, who made the clouds? God did, she would say. And who made the hills? God did. And the answer was always God did, right? And it was a simple way for me as we were going to, to train her. I didn't know what I was doing. I never had a two-year-old before, but for me, it went from teaching her that God made everything from, to me worshiping because God made everything. And that, that pathway back and forth in our lives is simple. There just needs to be a decision to do it wherever you are and whatever you're doing. And as they get older, you're looking for conversations about friendships, about the opposite sex, about their desires, changing hormones, all that's going on in their lives, sports, schooling, sex, every other facet of their life should come from you as parents and be involved. So it's not just intentional, it's also natural. This is the, the process of our lives. So when you're sitting down, when you're walking, when you're lying down, when you're rising up. If you don't know what to say and you don't know what to do, welcome to the club. Can I just tell you, I'm an elder at FBC and I'm the college pastor and I, parenting is an experiment for me. I've never raised kids before. I don't really know what I'm doing. I'm trying to follow Deuteronomy 6, to love Christ with all my heart primarily and to teach my kids intentionally. What does that mean for me? Maybe something different from you, but in essence, it is that we are working hard to see our kids move towards loving Christ. We're all first at parenting. And so with all that being said, we just want to honor him with our lives and love him with our hearts and pray that God would use our measly efforts to sharpen our kids and to prepare them for the future. So, all that being said, I just want to encourage you, I'm done. I want to encourage you to take some steps tonight. Tonight, we broke no new ground. There's nothing here that's out of the ordinary. You've heard it all before. You're wondering, when's this guy going to finish? I get all of that. I, we just wanted to open God's word and put this in front of you to encourage you and challenge you in this new season as you're setting out into a semester, whether you're in sixth grade or whether you're 45 years old, this is designed to get your attention, to get you sitting at home, having conversations about how we're going to use this semester to grow as a family, to be more like Jesus Christ. Develop a plan. Do it tonight with your spouse. Your kids are not going to be here forever. And the foundation of their lives is being poured right now. Paul Tripp calls it the age of opportunity. And it is. Let's not miss that. So they need to more than ever to have you involved in their lives. They need more than ever to have the church involved in their lives. And uh, we're here to help you in any way we can. And if you need someone to talk to about what does this mean, then come talk to us or get involved with a um, CG uh, where you can go and say, hey, I got some questions on parenting. Can we sit down and talk? It'd be an awesome thing.
Um, in the meantime, last encouragement and I'm done. Uh, can I just encourage you, invite your staff person over for dinner. And when you see them at church on Sunday, grab them, introduce yourself. You have my student in your small group. Build a relationship with them so that you can be working on the same equation from opposite sides, if that makes sense. And if you see them, students, talking, know that that's bad news, okay? <laughs> Something scary is going on. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, but I would encourage you to get to know the staff. They are awesome. Have them over for dinner, invest in them, etc. Okay, two priorities. Love God primarily. Train your children intentionally. Simple, right? Let's seek to do it to honor Christ. Father, thank you for our time together tonight. Well, it's